Welcome to Sports, Clicks, and Politics with your hosts, Ben Husong and me, Sean Hannon. All right, let's welcome to the show Chief Science Officer and Founder of Medicinal Genomics, Kevin McKernan. Friend of the program, Mr. McKernan, welcome back to Sports Clicks and Politics. Uh, how have you been? I've been crazy busy lately. Apparently, a lot of uh, dodging lots of arrows after uh, we published some things people don't like. Well, so. that's, I think that's been kind of like uh, maybe your life for the last couple of years, uh, kind of uh, poking holes in some of the, the mainstream narrative and uh, taking shots back from it. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Uh, you know, I I was always worried. 11 years ago, we got involved in the cannabis industry, and I, I was worried about, like, you know, some cartel might take me out, but go sequence a vaccine, and then you'll you'll get the real uh, the real brunt of the spear. <laughs> they, they are their own cartel, I guess, right? Yes. Uh, yeah. so, uh, uh, something with a little bit more teeth the, with, behind the, uh, with the U.S. government back behind it. So, um, well, kudos to you for uh, picking fights with the uh, powers that be. I, it's a, much appreciated amongst the people here, I, pr I promise you. So, um, I, I brought you on today just because we had this new article here and, uh, you know, we'll touch on this and, uh, uh, maybe find out why, why it's uh, important here, but this was a, uh, an article published in the Brownstone Institute, um, headline reads the Vax gene files an accidental discovery. And it talks about you and your accidental discovery, uh, of, uh, and bear with me for my lack of technical expertise here, but, uh, you called it a plasmid DNA that you found in basically uh, a uh, vials sent, uh, unused vials, I'm assuming, of the of the yeah. Pfizer and Moderna vaccines. And yeah. you were using these vaccines for something else, apparently, a uh, some other sequencing uh, problem that you were trying to, to find. And when you got into these vials, you found something that you were not expecting. Why don't you tell the folks uh, what you found? Yeah, so um, if you look at my history through Twitter, the last few years I've been somewhat critical of the vaccines for not having had any sequencing information performed on them to understand if they're really what they claim they are and what the error rates are. But I never could justify sequencing them, despite that people sent me vials and I just would shove them in the freezer for a rainy day. And then you know, one day we had an experiment that uh, it was an RNA sequencing experiment in cannabis. We were trying to figure out what's going on with this viroid. And it wasn't working. We we're getting sequencing that looked like it was just all over the genome. It wasn't enriched for genes, which is a sign that your RNA sequencing isn't working. So one of our informatics people said, "Hey, you should spike in some genes that have poly A's, and then you'll know whether your you know whether your purification is not working or whether your your process is screwed up somewhere else." Um, I said, "All right, I've got some of these things in the freezer. I'll pull them out um, on open vials." But by that time, they had expired. Um, and uh, but we see we threw them in as a, to, to sort out this experiment, and it worked. It figured out. It, it pointed out that we had a DNA's problem. Um, but as a result of this, we got really, really deep sequencing over the Pfizer vaccines, uh, and so Pfizer and Moderna, uh, the bivalent vaccines. And so when we start digging through that, we realize the their expression plasmid was actually still in the vials. Um, the expression plasmid is how they make these mRNAs. Uh, so uh, for those not familiar with the process, uh, in order for Pfizer to make in Moderna to make you know, trillions of these per shot, they have to have like a mold that stamps out lots of mRNA. And that mold is usually DNA. Uh, and it's in the form of a circular plasmid that they replicate in the coli. So they have lots of the mold. Uh, I don't mean like a fungi mold. I mean, like, uh, you know, uh, kind of injection molding type of thing. It's just an analogy. But 
So they take these plasmids and run a reaction that makes mRNA and, uh, and incorporates their modified nucleotide, and, and they try to make lots of this. But ideally, they should be getting rid of that. Um, so I was kind of shocked when I found that because I, uh, I didn't budget any time to like go take on Pfizer. This is just something that came through one of our experiments, but I knew I couldn't just bury it uh, because it was clinically significant. Uh, the fact that there was a lot of this DNA in there, uh, people need to know about it. So um, that put us into a bit of a race to, um, to go and verify it, like as many different ways as possible, many different technologies we could in our own hands, and to publish methods that would allow other people to replicate it. Uh, so that uh, you know, this, this whole process of peer review, which can take a year, uh, can be short-circuited, and other people can just replicate our work by, by reading a substack or a preprint and, and, and ordering some of the reagents to do it themselves. So that's so, where we ended up. Yeah, and so... You said you talked about you were kind of raced against time here. So you kind of published this out in unconventional methods. Um, yeah, we did. We got a lot of heat for that. So, you know, it's a good question. What do you do when you discover a contaminant that's in a shot that's going into billions of arms at a time and getting pushed into pregnant women and into children? Uh, you know, do you you don't want to you don't want to carelessly yell fire in a the movie theater. Um, so you do the best thing you can do is transparency. Put we started putting the data up like every two or three days. We put a subset of what we find. So you would find some mistakes. It would be okay. This is what we discovered today off using this technology. Tomorrow we use a different. We're going to use a different tool. The different tool has a different opinion of what we ran with the first tool. We ended up measuring this like ten different ways. Uh, and in the end of the end of the day, I think we ended up using qPCR as being probably the thing that the public understands the most and has been used throughout the pandemic to measure the virus. We figured, well, that's a fair enough tool to use to measure the contaminant in the vaccine. Uh, and even even with that tool, uh, it is uh, all the vaccines are over the over the regulatory limit that was set by the EMA and the FDA for how much DNA should be in these things. So that leads me to the question of why were they not checking for this or were they checking for this and didn't care or is ah, it that's the good old question. So after after we discovered this, we started digging through the EMA documents. And in fact, we weren't the first to discover this. Pfizer was. Okay. Pfizer disclosed this to the EMA that they had an 815 fold variance in the amount of DNA contamination they had just across 10 lots. And these are 10 lots that Pfizer got to cherry pick and hand data to the EMA. I'm pretty certain they didn't go and give them the worst ones. Uh, so 815 fold variance on a process across 10 vials. If you expand that to a thousand vials, I guarantee you there's probably a thousand fold variance or 10,000 fold variance when you start expanding that to more than 10 vials. Uh, so the lots that we sequenced are, that's only a few of them, and they don't represent any of the lots that were in the Schmeling paper. For those who aren't familiar with the Schmeling paper, these guys published work showing there's a very batch dependent effect on adverse events with the vaccines where like the, the vast majority of the adverse events are coming from a few lots. Uh, we, we're not looking at those lots. We're looking at lots that pretty much have a clean track record. Um, with the exception of the, the monovalent lots we, we subsequently looked at is one that's, that's um, not doing as well in California, according to some work that Sasha put out. But, but the bivalent ones were uh, lots that didn't necessarily have a high adverse uh, event ratio. So whatever we're finding there is being over the limit. Um, we're very curious to find well, what are the DNA double-stranded DNA contaminants in the, the the vaccine vials that have that have some notorious history to them? So yes, the EMA is aware of this. The EMA has doc. I have, I have a substack that goes through all the language the EMA has thrown at Pfizer, saying that these do not meet GMP standards, that these things are in fact lacking uh, clarification on this particular step that they have to remove the double-stranded DNA. Um, so there's a lot of criticism in the documents about how um, Pfizer hasn't really satisfied their um, their criteria for getting rid of this contaminant. 
And so I guess I'll, I think this is probably the question that everybody want to know is what could happen? What are the, what are the, what are the outcomes of having this uh, unwanted DNA in a, a vaccine and can it affect, you know, the, the DNA of a, of the, uh, a person who was injected with a, a vial with this uh, contaminant? So this is where all the spears come out. If you speculate on this is when everyone starts to attack you. So just let everyone know we're, we're, you know, we're in the room of speculation at this stage. Um, I think the important, the most important topic on the table is there's been a long debate for the last few years as to whether or not this, this vaccine can integrate into the genome. I think Rudy Ginesh of the Whitehead has shown that the, that the actual virus can. All right, that's settled science now. Uh, he, had, he's, he was attacked when he first put this out as being an anti-vaxxer. He's not an anti-vaxxer. Um, but he went and doubled down, redid the work, and showed that he can get the virus to integrate. Okay, now it wasn't a large piece; it was like 1,400 bases or something. But he still got parts of the virus to end up and demonstrate they ended up in the in the, in the genome. Uh, he did try to do some experiments, seeing if the vaccine would do this, but he didn't actually have the vaccine. So he did. He made some model templates to try to emulate it, and didn't have much success. But but many argue that you know you really have to repeat it with the actual vaccine because it's it's a different beast. Um, so the question is, will this vaccine uh, reverse transcribe itself into, into DNA? And there's a group called uh, in, in Switzerland, the Alden Lab, um, or Marcus Alden, I'm sorry, I could, have, I could have this extra jurisdiction mixed up, but Marcus Alden's the paper to look up. And uh, they showed that the, the, the vaccine itself can get reverse transcribed into DNA. That's the first step. If you want to get uh, genome integration, you got to turn the RNA into DNA, and then it can get into the genome. The point of our work is to demonstrate that even that step isn't necessary. Many people were critiquing Marcus's work because he did it in cancer cell lines, like liver cell lines. I think it was, uh, uh, and, and that, and as a result, they were trying to claim that that's not a good model. Uh, well, his model, as important as it is, isn't necessary if there's DNA in the background of the shots because you don't need a reverse transcription step. You already are delivering the DNA. Um, now, the DNA that we've measured to date is very short in, in, in length. We don't have long pieces of DNA. We've, we've done a couple nanopore runs on this and have only seen, we're not seeing anything longer than, 50, than 1,400 bases. Um, and uh, we've been trying to do some transformation experiments as well to see if it'll actually um, stick inside of a coli and grow, but those, those haven't been very productive. So right now, most of the DNA that we're seeing, the lots that we have is fragmented in small pieces of DNA, but, but fragmented DNA is still a concern for the FDA. They, have, they, ha they, they specifically point this stuff out. Linear DNA is more likely to integrate into a genome than circular DNA. Uh, so they're still concerned that this could happen. Now, the other thing that was unique to the Pfizer vaccines was that they had a, a, a promoter in their vaccine that uh, was a little, that they, that they hid from the EMA. There's a, a little piece of DNA in there known as an SV40 promoter. Now SV40 has a notorious history in the vaccine industry. It contaminated the polio vaccines, but that was the, that was the entire 5,000 letter virus. This is just a short, like 340 base pair promoter. Um, now this promoter turns on gene expression. Uh, so if it for any reason integrates into the human genome in front of a gene, it will turn on the expression of that gene. If it happens to be an oncogene, then you've got you've got problems. So there has been concern that this SV40 piece of DNA is in the Pfizer vials. And if that for any reason uh, gets integrated into the genome, it will turn on gene expression of wherever it lands. It's likely to be a very rare event if it happens, but if it happens in a stem cell, which proliferates into many other cells, you've got an amplifiable rare event. So uh, we've seen some evidence through these biodistribution studies that these LNPs don't stay in the muscle. They, they go everywhere. 
which means we've got to be concerned about it getting to sperm cells, to, to oocytes, eggs, and getting to any sort of stem cell with LNPs. Now, what, what, some of this is, 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 is showcased in the preprint we put live, but what did not make it into the preprint because it happened subsequently to the preprint being submitted uh, is that we did some work after we got trolled by uh, someone funded by the Wellcome Trust. Uh, we, they, they, they claimed none of this DNA was going to be packaged and it would just be eaten up in your bloodstream. Uh, we actually did some experiments to show that, no, it's in fact packaged. It is inside the LNPs, and it will be transfected into any cell that those LNPs find. So you'll be getting both the, the, the Pfizer or Moderna mRNA, and the contaminating DNA is going to be delivered into a cell. Uh, so, you know, will it integrate? We don't know. Uh, have the integration risk gone up based on this data? Absolutely. Um, the, the argument that they've thrown at Marcus Alden and Rudy Ginesh in the past is now off the table because we have DNA in every shot. And the question is, at what frequency uh, does this integrate, and does it, it does it uh, drive any oncogenesis? And so you, the LNP, the liquid uh, uh, lipid nanoparticles, right? So if I'm going back to during some of this vaccine discussion, I think those were being found in in the reproductive systems of females and. Among other things, right? I th what the oh yeah, there's issues with sperm sperm motility has been going down. Um, I think. Uh, Arnie Burkhardt, who, who unfortunately just passed away, was doing a lot of pathology work on this, demonstrating spike protein contamination in a variety of tissues. So um, it's in. Uh, we're, they're also finding the mRNA in breast milk and spike protein in breast milk. So there, there's a longevity problem on these, and that that problem just got worse because DNA degrades more slowly than RNA, uh, and so they're injecting DNA. They've got um, they've got a problem now. Uh, the pieces of DNA probably aren't long enough for them to be expressed uh, into proteins, um, at least in the lots we surveyed. The argument that's been thrown back at us is that, well, you guys looked at it clean lots. Go look at some dirty lots. I bet the, the DNA is worse, particularly if the EMA has Pfizer on record with an 815-fold variance in how that process behaves. Um, so, so the verdict's still out. We need to survey more vials, and, that, and that's one thing that... Um, we want to get the word out about it. if there's anybody out there that has PCR instrumentation and access to these things. We've put all of these protocols public for anyone to just take a millionth of a liter, which is a microliter, uh, and you can get a CT of 20 off of this in PCR. And I think more people want to see that reproduced to know that we're, we haven't just put up some type of you know fear campaign here. Uh, but one microliter is one three hundredth of a dose, and that gives you a CT of around 20. So if people remember, they were being quarantined for CT sometimes at 35, maybe 40 for the virus, and they were surveying that outside of your mucosa on your nose. Most of that was probably subgenomic RNA, not, not replication-competent RNA. Now we have a contaminant that's being injected past your mucosa, so your, your defenses, and it is at a CT a million times higher, and no one cares. Well, I mean, some of us care, but let's yeah. just say uh, everyone else is trying to brush it off as it go. Well, maybe it's contaminated. This is what we're hearing now from the proponents who have attacked our work is fine. Maybe you've convinced us it's contaminated, but it doesn't matter. Uh, those amounts are minuscule. Uh, well, those amounts were not minuscule two or three years ago when they're testing everybody for, for COVID. Now that they're injecting them past your mucosa defenses, they're suddenly immaterial. Um, I think that's a bit of a double standard that, that they're stand, standing on. Yeah, and that's kind of where I was going to go. It's like, what, what are what are the uh, you know the people who are trolling you or or, or pushing back? Like, what 
is that their main is that their main argument is that okay yeah you you, you got it they're they're contaminated but so what and you know this... uh, yeah they're they're most of their arguments are taken straight from our own paper i mean we list these things that are, are limitations of the study which is that we're not in control of the providence of these files we got shipped them an anonymously but they were sealed uh, so they didn't look like they were tampered with but you know maybe they baked them in the sun for a few days before they sent them and and the rna just got degraded we found the rna we we're able to sequence the rna so it's not gone but it may be lower in quantity than um, they initially estimated. In fact, there should have been 30 nanograms in there. And I think in some of the vials, we're finding about half that. And that's that 50% that, that loss is probably the, the, an artifact of us purifying the RNA out of the LMPs. We, we lost them in the process. I don't think they're heavily degraded. We did run them on Agilent tape stations, and we didn't see uh, heavy signs of degradation. We, we saw the typical... Um, I don't know if you're familiar with this Blotgate story that's been out there, but when you look at these Agilent traces, you can see some of the RNA is not full length. It's And this is something the EMA cited and lowered the standard for them. They, they wanted them to have 80% RNA integrity. When Pfizer couldn't hit that, they lowered it to 50. All right. Um, so we ran these things on, on those machines, and they didn't look too different from what they've published. So we don't think they were overly degraded because we've got data showing that the RNA integrity is, in fact, intact. Um, and then uh, second to that, you can't really describe that if someone were to cook these in the sun or mistreat them, how a plasmid would suddenly spontaneously emerge inside of the vials. And that plasmid happens to have sequence that maps the, the map that they gave the EMA. Of course, that the map that they gave the EMA, they erased the SV40 promoter from it and gave them everything but that. So uh, they clearly don't like that thing and don't want people talking about it. Uh, so it, it's something that they've, uh, they've hidden due to the fact that it has a notorious history in, in the vaccine field. Yeah, and it seems that there's been enough uh, uh, clamoring about the safety of these that they're going to try to hide anything that might give them a, a red flag, I guess. Is that a, a fair assessment of what you think, they're, why they're hiding the, uh, that promoter? I think so. Yeah, it's there. There's no reason for them to to pull that off. They put every other part of the plasmid in there. They put the F1 origin in there. They put the the cannabinoid resistance gene. They put the spike protein in there. They put the EMA 1104I cut site in there, but they just omitted that one piece, which is the controversial piece. Okay, and so what happens next? Uh, obviously, you put this information out, allowed for you said people can uh, anybody who has PCR capabilities could uh, replicate your your trial there or your yes so, some of that has, has happened so we've sent kits out all over the world we're always eager to send out more to other people and if you don't trust us to make them you can order your we put all the recipe online so you can order your own oligos from like a, a, a provider like idt if you need to uh, and make your own primers uh, we've also put all the sequencing public uh, for the vaccine the plasmas we found so if you don't like the primers we design you can design your own um all of this is transparent it's online anyone can anyone can download the data and and brief themselves so a group in japan took our data or sequencing data reassembled it and found the same thing another group in in um in, in europe sequenced the monovalent vaccines forwarded us the data we assembled it and found the SV40 promoter in the Pfizer monovalents from their data as well. So there's been some replication there. There's been some replication in Japan. Another group in Japan um, did work QPCRing this with a slightly different PCR assay using CyberGreen, but got similar CT scores. Uh, so it's been replicated about at least, that was on Moderna, on, on two different places in Japan, once in Europe. 
A fourth person, um, Didier Riault, who's under a bit of uh, criticism right now. There's a there's a witch hunt after this guy for doing a hydroxychloroquine trial, um, but their lab knows how to do PCR. They put some of the earliest PCR data out comparing uh, plating viruses with PCR. There's a great paper from, from Rita Jafar on this. Um, they claim to have found uh, DNA in, in the vials as well. Um, I'm missing somebody. There's another group that's also um, had some preliminary results on this, but it's starting to emerge in multiple labs. They're finding the DNA. The real question is how much and how much does it vary lot to lot? Uh, and then a third question emerges. Whenever you see plasmid DNA in any injectable, it rings alarm bells that you need to look for the E. coli endotoxin that's probably present with it. Uh, so these plasmids are grown in E. coli and you have to crack open E. coli to get the plasmids out. And that process uh, exposes all of these surface um, glycoproteins, lipopolysaccharides, if you will, to, uh, to, the, to, the, to the solution. And if the, any of these endotoxins get in, they can create anaphylactic shock. Uh, many of the symptoms you find of people like dropping right after vaccination, it's probably an endotoxin that's doing that. Um, and whenever we see plasmids, that's the first thing uh, we think of is, okay, there's, there could be endotoxin in here. If there's endotoxin getting injected, those numbers need to be revisited because if that varies lot to lot, then uh, we got a disaster on our hands that could be explaining a lot of the adverse events that are out there. So uh, the third thing I'll mention is that there are papers out there um, on our substack that will show that if you inject enough double-stranded DNA alone, it's pro-thrombotic. Uh, so uh, we already have evidence of, of thrombosis after these vaccines. So here we have a contaminant with literature that links it to one of the adverse events, and people are trying to bury it. Uh, now, you know, whether it's the, 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 it could be a spike protein that's causing the thrombosis, but, but, you know, throwing in more thrombotic agents uh, into the mix as contaminants is something that is, it's a very fixable problem. That's what people need to know is that this is not something that necessarily dams the whole platform. They can fix this. It's not expensive to fix this. This is just them going too quickly and not, you know, dotting all the I's and crossing all the, all the T's and, and QC. This is, they could probably fix this for under $5 million. It's just, they need a new enzyme. They need, they need to tweak that process that they have to get rid of this DNA and they'd have cleaner mRNA, but uh, that's not getting done. I think what you're going to find is it's probably cheaper for them to, to like change the regs than it is to actually clean it up. Do we think Pfizer has an extra 5 million laying around or no? I don't know. They seem to be having a really hard financial time lately. All right. So what, so I, I, I don't know if this is even related or not. This is just where my brain was. So is any of this, like, I, you know, I have my, uh, haven't figured out what to make of long COVID, but is any of this relatable to that? Like, is, you know, I don't know. It's possible. I not, mean, that, that's like, what people, like, yeah, that's what people are bringing up is that, okay, maybe the, the DNA or the RNA that we've been detecting in, so there's some papers showing they've detected uh, the, the genome of, from the, from the vaccine 28 days later in people's plasma. Uh, then there's, there's the data showing um, some of the stuff in breast milk. Those studies um, are using tools called RT-PCR, which amplify DNA and RNA. So it's possible they got amplification off the DNA, not the RNA. Um, so those might need to be revisited based on the methods. Um, but yeah, now that we have a DNA molecule that's in there, the longevity of this in how, and how long it's detectable in the blood is uh, is up for is up for debate. So uh, we have been doing some work designing an assay uh, where you can use this. The, the assay that we designed was meant for targeting the vaccines. Um, so it has two different assays. It targets the, the plasmid and it targets the spike protein. And you can run that with quantitative PCR, which only amplifies DNA, or RTQ-PCR, which amplifies both RNA and DNA. Uh, what we're adding in is a third component that will pick up something known as RNase-P, which is a human gene. So if you want to apply this on human tissue and look for 
uh, this type of contaminant in a human biopsy, you'll want that internal control to, to show that your tissue's there and you can amplify the tissue and the, and the RNA prep from the tissue behaves. So we're, we're making a third assay. So the thing that's used to detect the contamination in the vaccine can be turned and looked at human tissue to see if you can find it in patients. Uh, and that might help a variety of pathologists try to answer the questions that you asked, which is, is, it, is this what's floating around causing problems in detection months later? Um, is this uh, playing a role in any of this reverse transcriptase uh, activity uh, and, and a lot of the questions we have about integration? Um, and likewise, the assay that picks up the vaccine is important because uh, you need to be able to differentiate the virus from, from the vaccine, uh, which can be done with DNA primers. Uh, it's a little bit harder to do uh, with ELISAs and a lot of the tools people are using right now. Right now, I think that the main way to differentiate whether someone's affected with long vax or long COVID is to look for nucleocapsid. Um, nucleocapsid is something that comes through the virus, doesn't come from the vaccine. So if they have nucleocapsid, you can say, aha, it's long COVID, it's not long vaccine. Reality is, in, based on the vaccination rates, it's probably a little bit of both. But, um, but anyway, nucleocapsid has been critiqued in that it, they don't find expression of it in some tissues. So you can make false assumptions that it's the vaccine and not the virus in some tissues if you sample the wrong tissues. So the DNA, you know, targeting the DNA or the RNA doesn't make those mistakes. Uh, we can readily differentiate these things because the sequence of the vaccines is so different than the virus. They, they, they did this codon optimization that made it very different. That makes it very easy for us to target the, the vaccine RNA very specifically uh, versus the, 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 uh, the virus's RNA. So um, having these tools will be very helpful to, um, for the pathologists out there to sort of you know, cut through this, this quagmire we have of how much of this is long vax versus long COVID. All right, I have a couple more maybe related questions, I guess, but before we move to those, is there something specifically about this contamination uh, uh, issue that we haven't covered here in the uh, last 25 minutes? Well, yeah, so it also in the realm of speculation, it's something we have de-emphasized in a preprint, but many people raised as being a concern. Um, and early on, we were worried about this as well, but as, as, we, as we got more and more data off of the vaccines we had, we, we, we started to whittle away at this uh, being a risk for the vaccine vials that we have. If there are any full-length intact plasmids in these vials, which there may be in some of the ones smelling described or in other vials that have higher contamination rates than what we have measured, um, if those are in fact intact, those things can replicate inside of the coli or inside of a lot of bacteria. So in this case, the injection would deliver plasmids. They might get transformed into the bacteria in your body, in which case those bacteria would then be replicating that spike protein um, encoded plasmid. Now, we don't think they're going to express spike protein in the bacteria because the the, the the RNA that's inside this plasmid has a human recognition for for, for translation. So it, it shouldn't translate. This, this is something known as a COSAC consensus sequence. It shouldn't translate in bacteria. It only translates in humans. But some human cells will will go through a process of bactofection where they, they engulf a bacteria to kill it and then break it open. And then the plasmid could be in a mammalian cell and, and actually make spike protein that way. So there are some concerns that if the plasmids are around, there could be another pathway for prolonged expression of spike protein uh, in, 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 in humans. And that would also come, come alongside with an antibiotic resistance gene, which could cause some other issues. So um, th that's a little bit more remote. We need more data to actually confirm that speculation. But once you start seeing fragments of the plasmid present, the next thing you have to start asking is, how many vials have full-length intact plasmids? Because that's a whole other risk profile that's not being considered in this. 
Um, the second thing to be considered is that the EMA, when they wrote these regulations of how much DNA is allowable in these injections, they were not contemplating what if they're packaged in lipid nanoparticles. They just wrote them as what if they're naked DNA getting into your bloodstream, what's going to happen? You'll get an interferon response. So you have to have this lower than a certain level so you don't have an interferon response. Uh, they're also worried about integration. The FDA, uh, Keith Pettin has great work showing that they're concerned about genome integration with double-stranded DNA injections. What they didn't consider when they were writing those regulations was that in the future, there might be lipid nanoparticles that package this stuff so that it can't be destroyed and gets directly delivered to your cells and even maybe your nucleus. Uh, and so the, 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 they probably need to reconsider the regs for LNP delivery. And if there's any um, replication competent DNA in there, like a plasmid that can that can amplify on its own, because if you have something that's amplifiable, a small amount you only need a very small amount of it for it to take off. So um, they wrote these regs considering naked DNA that might be coming from a host cell like E. coli or from a mammalian cell line that they grew something in. They were not considering these types of DNA elements that are highly transfection competent or highly replicatable on their own. Uh, and those things probably need to be reconsidered when people are looking into these injectables. All right. So I had thought that the COVID and the vaccine was going to be uh, kind of washed away in uh, political history, if you will. I don't know if we're going to uh, uh, touch on a couple things here. So, but I don't know if you saw, well, two things. We have the emergence of uh, RFK Jr. in the presidential race, who has a history of, uh, uh, vaccine skepticism, to say the least. So my fear, I had a fear that COVID was going to become a non-issue and people were just going to kind of water under the bridge it uh, and not be something that was going to be discussed uh, for future leaders of this country. I think RFK enters into the race is going to kind of keep that there. But I don't know if you saw Trump yesterday announce something to the fact that I don't know if he's trying to outdo RFK, but he said basically he was going to start the discussion about whether or not vaccines were safe in like a general sense, not just the COVID vaccines, but all COVID vaccines. Oh, that's a, that's a, that's a shocking pivot considering he was taking doing exactly. victory laps over over uh, the whole warp speed program. I, I've I've I don't think anybody would disagree there. If he could have figured out a way to sign every single syringe with a gold signature, he would have <laughs> put his name on every single one of them if he could have. Um, so this is definitely a pivot and, uh, you know, he didn't mention the COVID vaccines in this statement, you know, it was a video statement he put out yesterday, but he mentioned all the other vaccines and basically <laughs> the ones that have been used for decades have been yeah. tested. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, I'm not going to defend all of them in the past. I certainly have it's raised my skepticism ever seeing, you know, when you see how the sausage was made on COVID, you want to question everything else, but at least from an adverse event standpoint, uh, the, nothing measures up to like these these COVID vaccines have more adverse events than all the other ones in history. So of course, if he's going to pivot, he pivots to where the ball isn't going to be. But um, I mean, maybe he has to because DeSantis is, is on this train as well. Uh, the only person who isn't on this train is Biden, who I'm, I'm not certain is going to be, you know, intellectually there when it happens. So um, yeah, that's, I, really I didn't know that. That's a crazy pivot. To, yeah, to that's, hear, that's, uh, that's, that's exactly what I thought too. I was like, this is a, this is a, like, so crazy of a pivot no and and like i said he mentioned nothing about the covid vaccines in this in this video he mentioned about every other possible you know scenario that that could be but i guess my question is is, is can we still get the information if, if if in fact these vaccines which you know as you pointed out the adverse event profile is higher than anything else that we've seen i don't know that that information has actually made it to the public i'm I guess my reason why I was bringing this up is 
is there stuff still to be learned from these COVID vaccines? And is it possible that politics will keep it, keep the the fire stoked enough to actually get this information where people are still interested in it? Like, I, I feel like a lot of people have kind of like just moved on past this and I can't. So I, I'm trying to figure out, um, will the public, you know, will this become public knowledge as opposed to just, or common knowledge, I guess, as opposed Left to, the drug. right? So it, I, I'm, I'm hopeful that the fact that RFK is in the race and Trump just made this crazy statement yesterday that maybe we'll still get some additional, you know, looking into uh, from people like yourself with people who are, are highly credentialed in this and try to figure out if there is actually something that can be done. I mean, I think the uptake of these vaccines has kind of shown that the people are kind of are worn out on it. Yeah, absolutely. The, 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 the powers that be are not. So I think two things are going to weigh into this one. This is a platform they plan to use for everything else. So they're not going to stop whether it comes to veterinary medicine, whether it comes to cancer, whether it comes to RSV, they're, they're going to keep making these LMPs and these MRNAs. So I think we still have to stay on the, on the case of this because I don't think they've solved these problems. Like even if they get rid of all the DNA, I don't think they're going to be safe. Um, that's not, I don't think that's the major contaminant. As much as it's getting a lot of attention and it's put my name in the news, it's, it's, just, a, it's just to demonstrate that they don't, they're, they're, they're cutting corners in manufacturing. Um, you know, they're going to switch from a spike protein to like nucleocapsid and, 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 and everyone will be like, okay, fine. You, fi you fixed it. I don't think that alone is going to fix it either. I think nucleocapsid, when you get in there, it has other, uh, you know, prion like, um, domains in it. It's got, um, uh, uh, you know, if, if you just decorate cells with, uh, foreign peptides like this, the immune system goes and clears them out. And so if you do this at a very high density across your epithelium, you get lots of scarring and you get lots of leakage in, 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 um, a lot of these barriers in your body. So they've not run vehicle controls. Like if you just inject people with the LMPs, what the hell happens? All right. If that alone creates enough cytotoxicity and cell death that you get a lot of these adverse events, then the entire platform is damned. Um, it's somewhat damned out of the gate when you think that they're, when they're going after respiratory viruses through an injection, right? They, they need, your respiratory viruses are put off by mucosal uh, antibodies. Not You don't get those from injection, right? So uh, this is something that the entire platform has has kind of, you know, done this. Uh, you know, these aren't the droids you're looking for, kind of crap, where, they, where they're injecting you with something, saying, "Hey, this will this will give you immunity in your your nasal mucosa." It doesn't. You have to have something that actually presents uh, to your your nasal mucosa for that to happen. So, you know, maybe those nasal sprays that people were doing would, would be a better a better route of a, a, a vaccination. So, I think we have to keep the the fire on them because they're not stopping. They're gonna they have a huge pipeline of these things, and they haven't yet proven that the LMPs themselves are safe. Yeah, um, and I think what you're gonna see them do is goalpost shift on this, saying, "Oh, look, we we got away from toxic spike now, and we got rid of the DNA, and everything's fine and dandy. Let's continue injecting all the cattle with this stuff." Um, on the flip side of this. Mainstream media, who's completely bought and sold by, by pharma, is dying, and they don't matter anymore. And someone like Joe Rogan can have Peter McCullough on and get 50 million views. And uh, and I think I heard, what did Tucker get yesterday? I mean, Tucker yeah, used to get I 4 million at Fox. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're right. CNN gets 300,000. I mean, Joe Rogan is 100 CNNs with Peter McCullough. So, so the, even as much as pharma is suppressing this, they're suppressing it to the media that's re reaching the people that's 16 older. Uh, and those are soon to not be the decision makers anymore. All right. So the the the, the younger generation is listening to, to Joe Rogan, yourself, and other in Twitter. Right. They're they're not paying attention to, to to the bought and sold dinosaur legacy media. So 
I have a feeling it's going to persist for those two reasons that the, 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 the media that's out there and as even though it's being censored, it's reaching people want it. Um, that has it on its radar, hot, you know, front and center. And then they're not going to stop trying to make these things or can continue to bring them to market with some of these, with some of the same uh, technological flaws that uh, the argument's going to persist for another five years, if not 10. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't the, the, the lipid nanoparticles, the main problem of mRNA vaccines, the whole history of them, they weren't able to actually find a safe, uh, uh, lipid nanoparticle, and then miraculously they found one right before they needed the COVID vaccine. It could be. I'm I, I'm not as well read on the history of the, uh, of the LPs. I just I just noticed in their in the Pfizer trials they they never ran that. The their control was uh, you know a saline injection. It wasn't an injection with LMPs. So um, that that's uh, that vehicle control is missing. And um, I'm, Mark Giordo does some good work on this. He's he's published on COVID MythBusters where he goes through with you know, just the impact of transfecting this many cells with these LMPs can create immune attacks against a large portion of your epithelium and create all types of, all types of havoc. Uh, and, and some of this, he's even tied back to previous vaccination programs that don't have LMPs being showing, demonstrating there's risk of, of driving immune responses. If, if any of these things just hit the, hit the circulatory system and don't stay in the deltoid, what can happen? And so, um, there, I think the whole administration of these things needs to be revisited so that they're not um, creating, taking on these risks throughout vaccination. All right, before I let you go, I just want to give you one last chance to make sure we touched on everything that you would want to touch on here. Um, vaccines or or not vaccines, if there's something else uh, you think that uh, should be put out there, uh, I'm all ears. Well, I think the first, if you circulate our preprint to anyone, the first thing they're going to hit you with is it's not peer-reviewed. Uh, I'd, I'd, I'd uh, push back on those people saying peer review is meaningless. What you need is reproduction in science. Uh, having three people sit in a room and critique your paper who, when you don't know who they are or what conflicts they possess and how much money the pharmaceutical company is actually driving through advertisement through that journal, that's really not, that's a church, that's not science, okay? That, that's, that's a set of clergy that have financial interest deciding what gets published. What matters is if people can reproduce this work. So pay attention to who reproduces it and when. And if you want, chip in and reproduce it yourself or tell us we're wrong. Uh, we've put everything public so anyone can, can scrutinize that. Um, this peer review process, which we'll probably go through torturously, but it will take probably six months to a year, we're already getting data back from labs that have run this PCR reaction uh, before then. So uh, I think before that process even puts its boots on, we're going to have you know five to 10 labs that have reproduced this, and the peer review is going to be ceremonial. So. Uh, reproduction is what matters, not this peer review process that has been corrupted through the entire uh, pandemic process. But um, just note that that's the state of where it is. We we don't have evidence of genome integration. We have evidence of this of this SV40 promoter. It's not the whole virus. Uh, we don't have strong evidence the plasmids are intact, but there's a risk that they could be in some vials. Uh, so it's all very preliminary. However, none of this should be there. And the regulators knew this, and they warned Pfizer against it, and they injected them into people anyway. The most stunning thing you'll find in the EMA documents is that they injected people with the contaminated lots. They knew they were contaminated, injected them, and then they removed those people from the, from the um, preliminary analysis uh, in the trial. So people in the trial got some of these lots, and the data didn't look good, so they pulled them out. Now, the trial was done on lots that didn't have this problem. And then after the trial was completed, they switched to what is known as process two, where they made these things in E. coli, and, uh, and the problem existed. 
right? So there's a huge bait and switch going on in the Pfizer trial. They did this on synthetic DNA and, and synthetic RNA that was generated in vitro for the trial. And then they switched to this E. coli thing after the trial was approved and gave somebody these injections that were not the same as the ones that were used in the trial. So dig into the trial and, and dig into the EMA docs, you'll see that this process one versus process two is where all the shenanigans go on in the trial. And it has to do with the DNA contamination. All right. Well, Mr. McKernan, I thank you for your time. Uh, I thank you for your uh, uh, volunteer research here, uh, uh, keeping us all informed on uh, what the crazy pharmaceutical companies are doing to us. Um, maybe the next time we have you on, we'll uh, talk about something maybe uh, more uplifting, but just as oh, yeah, sure. I actually work in a much more uplifting field. And, yeah, in, in the cannabis field. So we can talk about how to, you know, basically, uh, you know, do an end run around the FDA and the pharmaceutical industry by by growing your own medicine. That's that's uh, actually where our passion lies. So uh, if you want to see any of that, you can follow us at uh, at Medicinal Genomics or uh, CanMed is a conference we run that that uh, shows it's a scientific conference about how, how you can grow your own medicine and uh, what, what you need to do in order to make sure that it's safe. So um, uh, this is something we want to decentralize. We can't be having medicine get centralized through agencies that are purchasable. We've got to have, uh, you know, a movement toward uh, understanding your own medicine. And if I'm uh, real quickly, you're doing the psilocybin too, right? Not just the cannabis. We are, yeah. Yeah. We sequence about 120 of those genomes as well. Um, and that's a very powerful and uh, exciting, exciting field. Um, those compounds have a, a remarkable therapeutic index there aren't overdoses with these things. Um, they are showing a real promise in treatment-resistant depression and PTSD. So uh, addictions, it, yeah. It, it's it's a. It, it, I have a feeling there may even be some implications in COVID, but that's a bit of a stretch. Um, and there's there's serotonin biology with fluvoxamine and COVID that I think psilocybin would probably emulate, but there's no study that's been done on that. It's just a, a, a just a hypothesis at the moment. Uh, so yeah, there's there's a lot of a lot of compounds that we as citizens that are they're currently illegal, they're becoming less you know less illegal over time. Uh, that uh, we need to build, put some guardrails around, bring some science in, and see if we can uh, we can clean up the testing so that we we know how to analyze and quantitate these things. Yeah, that sounds like a good uh, future uh, uh, next interview for you. So on that note, I'll let everybody go today, Mr. McKernan. Thank you for your time again. Thank you for your uh, service, and uh, we will uh, hit you up again in, in the near future. All right. Thanks, Sean. Always a pleasure yeah. talking to you. Always. Thank you. All right. Take care. Take care.